Hello everyone, welcome to Hairpins and Streets with Baba and Queen. Hello! Hi. Your girl's excited! Your girl's excited! Queen, will you tell them why? <laughs> well, <laughs> number one is episode 11. Woo! Number two is... We have a guest, as promised. A guest? We have a guest. A guest. Drum roll! don't know chris medland he is a freelance f1 journalist and broadcaster for racer and he's also been in documentaries notably drive to survive also known as dts where my dts fans at whoop where my dts fans at Woo! hello <laughs> hi chris oh my goodness oh my goodness oh my goodness Guys, this is almost like a dream come true. In fact, it's a dream Baba is fangirling. <laughs> I am fangirling because he literally taught us a lot. As yeah. you guys already know, we are new fans. We got into Drive to Survive. And guess who one of the first people who spoke was? Chris! So, we can say he taught us everything we know. Yeah. Maybe most. <laughs> most yeah. of the stuff. Yeah, Chris, I'm... lovely to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to hear that that actually helped because... I get mocked sometimes by some of my friends for sort of it, some of the stuff I had to say because there's a there's a line in it. So my fiance still wants me up for this, where I say that on Friday we do practice, Saturday we do qualifying, Sunday we do race, which is important to fans that haven't seen F1. Very before. important, important. But, exactly. Yeah, like we didn't know. We didn't so. know it was very helpful. <laughs> yeah. So so exactly that's exactly why it was in there. Um, and makes so much sense. But for a lot of people I've worked with for like ten years, they're like you've you did a degree and you worked your way up to 10 years of working in Formula One to, to say that line. That's, that's <laughs> the insight important. they want from you. Don't let anyone <laughs> so. put you down. It Funny was thing very is, important. People yeah. actually ask us about that. Like, even how now is the structure of like the races and how do Grand Prix work? So it's very important. Very, yes. very important. Well, and it changes you. now. <laughs> exactly yeah well i'll make yeah. sure she knows but um yeah it changes now which is the the tricky part now someone's they, they'll have to get me back in for one of the next seasons to say uh yeah they, they do that unless it's a sprint race and then it's like this or then unless <laughs> yeah. it's las vegas and that's like that uh yeah it was uh it was fun to do that yeah the various nuances so we yeah. had like a little An icebreaker icebreaker just like that so we yeah. had an icebreaker so there's this thing in ghana where you are named after the day you were born so for example my name means female born on thursday baba. right baba so okay. our question for you is what day were you born we are coming to christine you with a ghanian name <laughs> so i'm really glad you've asked that question because i've gone i don't know so i've had to google it while we're talking uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know, obviously, I know my birth date. Uh, it turned out I was born on a Tuesday. Really? We took you for a Friday born. Yeah, like, actually, honestly. <laughs> Does that mean I have a less cool name? Okay. So, yeah, Kwabna or shot in Kobe. Kobe. Yes. <laughs> Kobe. <laughs> so, Kobe. Kobe, yeah. yeah. Your Ghanaian name is Kobe. I'll take that. Kobe. Yeah. That works. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> okay. So, let's get into it. We have, like, we had. So we have questions. The fans have questions. So, Everyone has questions. <laughs> so that's normally my job. I normally have questions. This will be yeah. interesting. <laughs> now okay. you get to give us only answers. <laughs> okay. Yeah. For now, 
Maybe yeah, I might ask some questions back. Yeah, good books. We might have like a knowing me, knowing you session where you get to ask ask questions. So yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> okay, so the first thing I mean is probably good. We've already spoken about like try to survive, but how do you think it has affected the sport? I mean, we've seen that it has increased like the interest across the world and. I think the drivers are even more famous now. Like we've heard a lot of them talking yeah. about how now they get recognized in restaurants and all of that. How do you think it has affected the sport, both um, positively and negatively? So certainly positively is, like you say, it's obviously made it much more popular globally, but it's I think it's the reasons for that because people understand that Formula One is not all about winning like and the driver that wins because instead of thinking, oh, well, you know, that car's not as good as this one, therefore that team's rubbish. They kind of see the differences in teams, in drivers, and they understand when a great result might mean, you know, one point in 10th place compared to actually winning the race. So I think that wider understanding of the sport's been really good too. Um, So not only in growing it and creating great new audiences, I mean, the fact that we're sat here too, and we've got like, you know, you guys have talked about the interest from Africa and having um, a lot more interest from female fans as well. And being able to open all of that up um, has been very important. Something Formula One wasn't doing five, six, seven years ago. Uh, certainly under Bernie Eccleston, there really was no drive to do that. And it was frustrating. It's certainly someone who was one of the younger guys working in the sport to kind of see that and feel like it was um, just not being as as successful as it could be and not enough people were learning about it. Um, I'd say the downside uh, is... It's become a victim of that success. I don't think it was fully ready for it. So we do see some like tribalism that isn't very well handled sometimes. I think it can be a good thing. I'm a, I'm a football soccer fan. And there are aspects to uh, kind of uh, tribal fan bases that are great for atmospheres and for if people are respectful that can really add to a sport. But in Formula One, that hasn't quite happened yet in every sector. Uh, similarly, then when I talk about, you know, influxing female fans, but then they're going to race scenarios where they're feeling like they're not welcome or safe or comfortable uh, because, again, the environment hasn't evolved yet. Um, what was a very male-dominated environment hasn't changed enough to really be that inclusive or that welcoming. And there are things that now everyone's playing catch-up on, and, and you do see the negative headlines around that. So, um, yeah, I kind of call it a victim of, of its own success in that way. Yeah, sure. Queen, do you have a question? We can take turns, I think, because <laughs> we all have questions. I don't want to like monopolize. <laughs> Go for but it. just going back on like your background, so there's the DTS side, and you spoke about how you had been in F1 for like 10, 10 years. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us how you got there, what you studied in school, just for people who would want to um, follow a similar path? So yeah. how you got into motorsports and all that? Yeah, I'd certainly say that there is no one clear path. So mine's is quite a nice one, um, but there's there are different routes in. And I think even more so now, the way the world's evolved and the way you, know, you guys are content creators creating great stuff on a podcast around Formula One. So that's another route to become at least part of the sport and you don't know where that can go. So I think people can really almost carve their own path. But mine was uh, when I was a kid at school, uh, I loved all sports, Formula One being one of them. And sadly, I at least had enough uh, intellect to realize I wasn't going to make it as a professional sports person as much as I wanted to be one. I wanted to be paid to play sport, but I, I wasn't good enough. So I thought, what would be the next best thing to do? And I thought, be get paid to watch sport. I thought, be brilliant. So that's what I went for. Um, and I looked at kind of roles that would create that. And sports journalism was one. Uh, and I was fairly good at writing and um, 
hopefully by the end of this podcast people will hear good at talking rather than talks too much <laughs> but um yeah I uh I so I thought okay that's an avenue I could do that'd be fun and I tailored my A-levels towards that went to university and did a sports journalism degree which was rare at the time only two universities in the UK did a degree in sports journalism uh so I went to the University of Central Lancashire in Preston to give them a plug uh and it was great <laughs> uh, really cool place to go I uh, did a three-year degree there and my course leader was actually very good friends with uh, Jonathan Ledyard, who was the BBC TV commentator for Formula One at the time. Um, but more so than that, just on that course, they kind of asked you to focus on one sport only. And when they asked everyone in the, in the course what sport they wanted to do, I think 27 out of 30 said football. Uh, and I would have said football if I was one of the first ones asked. But fortunately, I was near the middle. So I, I said <laughs> Formula One as my other sport, just to be a bit different. So that was it. I had to tell him my degree towards it. That met, helped me make contacts and, and really focus on that direction. Uh, and when I came out of university, it would have been summer of 2010. I did an internship at a big media group in London called Bauer Media um, on one of their magazines and websites. Uh, and then from and worked on focus on sport within that. And as I was still doing that and on a freelance contract, um, I started off being unpaid, just intern, but I managed to get a bit of freelance work off it. Uh, then an ESPN Formula One gig opened up to be the assistant editor on their website, which was essentially, you know, it was a two-man band and I could be the junior of the two doing a lot of the donkey work if needed uh, in their little London office. But uh, yeah, that, that got me into Formula One. And from there, I just managed to improve, get to a few races with ESPN, uh, then I moved on to a website called Crash.net, um, which is another motorsport website based out of the UK, where I was their Formula One editor. And I joined them after I was three years at ESPN, joined Crash because they offered me the ability to go to every race and travel. Uh, they'd give me a travel budget. So I was full time employed at these places. And yeah, that's the dream. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> go to all the races. Um, at least it felt certainly felt like the dream at the time. So I was like, yeah, love to do that. And um, And I did one year with them, actually, and then got asked to join uh, another new website that was starting up uh called f1i and i did two years as their editor of the whole website and that was a big challenge um and a lot of things i learned in that i wouldn't say it was always fully successful in terms of the numbers we did or the, the ethics of that website i wasn't particularly happy with at times but the um that that taught me a lot and off the back of that i then went freelance uh, and uh, i joined racer as their main f1 correspondent for an american website and start writing for other magazines and just piecing bits together uh, and the main thing again was committing to being at every race because then people come to you saying can you help us with this can you do that um, and more work kind of comes your way if you can say yes and the big thing I always say to people is if you can say yes like do, do everything you can to avoid saying no because you never know if that opportunity will come to you again even if it's something that you're not that excited about or that desperate to do if you say no and then and like six months down the line, a year down the line, five years down the line, you really need that opportunity to come back. It might never come back um, and you don't know what it might turn into. So um, saying yes is always very important, I found. And um, yeah, it seems to have gone OK so far. Mm, more than OK. Definitely more than OK. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you said something about like just having to be at all the races. So was it always sponsored or like, you know, that's that was a critical <laughs> question. <laughs> Was it sponsored or was it something you had to like invest in yourself? Mm -hmm. um, so it started off where um, in the full-time jobs I was in, those expenses were covered by the companies I worked for, which actually made it harder. So at ESPN, at the time, the internet wasn't really accepted by Bernie Eccleston too much. They didn't want websites. Uh, it was hard to get accreditation as a website. So even though it was part of this big 
uh, you know, massive media company in ESPN. They, they still weren't handing out uh, many passes. So I managed to go to, well, I didn't go to any races in my first year with them. And I think my uh, boss went to one race. And in the second year, I went to three races. And in the third year, I went to five. Um, so that was by then we're talking about the end of 2013, still only doing five races uh, in one year. Um, but partly because you had to convince your bosses to, to give the budget to let you go. So uh, it was quite tough. And then that was why I made the move I made to crash because they committed still a tight budget. And I had to manage that um, to make sure I could go to every race. So there was a lot of uh, sharing rooms or really dodgy cheap flights and that sort of thing. Uh, just trying to save as much money as you could. Um, <laughs> and that takes its toll actually over a full season. You get very tired with that, but then it also makes, gives you the, the motivation to be like, okay, I want to do better so I can make this a bit more comfortable. Um, and once I went freelance, yeah, then it's all on me. So um, from 2016 onwards, when I've been kind of full-time freelance, um, I, previously it was mainly work I did with F1i and I had a few other bits. So it's kind of all quite easy to manage. But uh, I, when I broke away from them in 2016, it was I committed to going to every race with one job with, with Racer that the terms I agreed, what they were going to pay me, covered all my travel. But that was for me to choose if I was spending that money or not. So essentially, as soon as I committed to going to every race, I wasn't making a wage. I needed to pick up other work to earn money. Um, but I managed to do that, fortunately. And from there, it kind of grew. But yeah, so since then, I've always invested everything. Every race I go to is is my own money being spent um, to be there. But hopefully, I'm I'm making much more back by having enough clients and, and enough work. But yeah, it does mean it's uh, unstable. There's There's always that risk that the next year someone might say, actually, we don't need you anymore. And, and you're either making a lot less money or you can't afford to go to every race. And how many races have you been to? Or are you planning on going to this year in this so, season? So in this season, it will be it will be all of them except one, uh, which will be Japan, because I've got uh, a friend getting married in Canada the following week. And basically, as much as I love my job and traveling, if I, <laughs> I could either miss his wedding, um, which I wouldn't have been cool um or it would have meant i'll be home away from home for six weeks in a row because of the way the calendar is mm -hmm. so um i i'm missing japan just to get a week at home in between but uh i did also not make it to the race in australia even though i was in australia so i flew out there mm -hmm. i'd actually been in las vegas for the uh announcement of that race i was kind of there reporting on it um uh, again with my fiance Jess um we we're both out there so that was very cool like the fact that we get to share those moments sometimes as well is incredible uh but she came home from Vegas I went on to Melbourne and by I'd been there about 24 hours and I started to feel a bit unwell you had to do a COVID test on arrival so it wasn't COVID but I started to feel unwell couldn't shake it and I hadn't gone to the track and by Saturday morning I was uh taken to hospital and I was admitted on Saturday night and kept in overnight Saturday um, while they did more tests on me and things. And I was not well, but uh, it just turned out to be a virus, but not COVID. Um, and I was uh, released about three hours before the race started. And I did consider still going to because they said I was fine to you know do what I wanted. I didn't have to isolate or anything. Uh, I did consider going to the track just to have finally made it because you've flown Commitment. across the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to go, but um, I I actually went and found some lunch and I thought if I can make it to lunch and eat something I'll see how I feel after that and that took every bit of energy I had so I was like no yeah. I can't so I never actually made it to the track um I flew all that way and had to had to fly back which was 
uh, an ordeal in itself as well. I nearly collapsed in the queue to check in for my flight. So, yeah, that was tough. Wow. But it meant it meant I was at the race. I was like in Australia. I was in Melbourne, but I never made it to the track. Lots of interesting <laughs> travel stories. I know. <laughs> but fortunately, you mentioned just yourself. So <laughs> <laughs> go for it. <laughs> How did you guys meet? Right. So um, interestingly, and we have there's a picture on our wall. Um, it's in Baku of all places so it was through formula one um i knew loosely of jess through work she was working for wtf1 at the time and um you just kind of you know different people in different industries or know them by name but um we'd never met at that point and i flew in from abu dhabi with daniel ricardo for an event in baku after the final race of the season i know i'm trying to add the call uh (laughs) Trying to add the cooler travel story. <laughs> Don't worry, in my head, I'm going, this is such a name drop. Um, but um, it was, in fact, I'll tell you that whole story because, yeah, why not? Um, so it was after the final race of the season and we had to uh, fly to, from Abu Dhabi to, um, to Baku for Daniel to be the ambassador for the race. So he was going to go and do um, a lot of sort of promotion, filming, interviews uh, for two days there. And I was there to host certain aspects of it for Baku um, because I do the trackside commentary there for them um, for fans in the grandstands. So um, they'd asked me to do that. So I was traveling into Ab- in from Abu Dhabi as was Daniel and his manager and uh, Lawrence Barreto, who works for Formula One. And our flight got delayed and we were in the, um, not the big international terminal, but the smaller, older terminal at Dubai airport. Uh, and I remember just sitting there for about three hours, just chatting with Daniel over coffee, waiting for our flight, talking about normal life stuff. And we, he and I are the same age. So we actually um, had loads in common and gotten really well, which was really nice. Uh, so that meant by the time we got to Baku, we were kind of almost best mates. That ended, <laughs> ended by the nice. time. Yeah, well, but yeah, that ended by the time that he had to go and do other things. Then he couldn't remember where I was. But um, no, so, so we arrived late. So I wouldn't have been waiting. Uh, and I very briefly got introduced in the lobby of the Hilton where we all uh, started like the first driving tour from uh, to Jess and her crew um, from WTF1 who were there filming with the circuit as well and um, it was very brief sort of you know hello this is so and so and that's it and then uh, later that evening we all we'd all had dinner and then we had drinks at the top of that hotel and I remember Jess walking in and thinking wow um, uh, wow 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 <laughs> <laughs> But believe me, I wasn't the only person who did that. And every guy sat around me did the same sort of thing. But Ooh. that to me is like a real, a real turnoff. I'm like, I don't get involved in competitions like this. I feel like, wow, I feel like really? people become fake. I mean, it's a competitive sport. So. Well, true, exactly. So I, I feel like then people are trying to beat each other more than interested in um, sort of whoever it is they're interested in. Yeah. So I backed away from that. I kind of then showed no interest for quite a few years, actually. And then yes. slowly I passed. Yeah, yeah. Because that would have been. Wow, flex on um, them. <laughs> 20 end of 2017 i think that would have been so then our paths crossed a bit through work um and slowly we got to know each other better and then um yeah we started dating at the uh start of 2020 really so um it kind of it, it was a slow burner in that sense <laughs> wow inspiring story queen are you inspired <laughs> but you can Don't. you can meet anyone in even in baku That's what I'm yes we could lovely place yeah there's hope for you yes. we are actually going to be at abu dhabi so yeah. maybe i get to meet someone there yes. that would be a nice there you go. That's it. when you walk into your hotel yeah, oh definitely yeah nice. absolutely yeah. but then when you walk into your hotel in abu dhabi that's the one where you need to look scan around you don't know who it might be that you're about to meet for the first time but uh could be a big <laughs> person in your life don't encourage her <laughs> 
going to get to Abu Dhabi and she'll be like, Queen, look around. Look around. <laughs> yeah. like, you, have to, you have to be sharp. Like, you have to focus. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's time for one of our submissions. We've ordered the question. So, yeah. Yeah. Let's hear from. Hi, Baba. Hi, Queen. Philip here. You're not so regular podcast listener. <laughs> anyway, so first question goes to Chris. In fact, all my questions go to Chris because I wouldn't <laughs> want to ask any question of you guys. Duh. <laughs> anyway, so um, to Chris, working in F1, yeah? Um, we've all worked in corporate jobs, done the whole nine to five. F1 can't be regarded as a corporate nine to five type of job. So what's it really like working in F1? Obviously, from a media perspective, it may differ, but I'm sure he's had some insights into how other parts of teams function, obviously. So what's it really like working in F1? Is it as glamorous as it looks like? Or is just a facade behind the scenes, a bit, a bit toxic? What's it like, really? Give us an accurate depiction of how it is to work in formula one so that's my first question so disclaimer he's also a journalist that's why the question is this uh, i like it <laughs> this is a I like it. Question. <laughs> i keep saying that's why yeah <laughs> it's made it nice and dramatic i like it um so it's neither of the things he said actually in the sense it's somewhere in the middle it's not as glamorous as it looks by any stretch um because moments are certain moments there's things like you get to go uh, trackside to watch the cars from a journalist perspective in monaco and you have a proper pinch me moment of this is incredible um but similarly even from my perspective when you're the media center is pretty rough and ready in monte carlo uh you barely eat um you can't really stay in monaco because it's extortionate so you're up at ridiculously early and back ridiculously late and fighting with traffic and things that's all very challenging um but you do that wherever you go as well um the amount of travel is very physically draining it's very it is very tiring and, and for the majority of people you're flying economy everywhere um you know right now as well you're at the mercy of so many delays in the airline industry and cancellations and the stress of travel is is really high um and they're very very long days and certainly for the teams as well as as media uh, if anything probably more so for the teams where you're you're in so early you are working long, long days where either if you work on the cars, if you're uh, an engineer or a mechanic, you are either working physically hard on the car or mentally very hard on on uh, data and numbers. Uh, or if you're working in marketing or PR, you're having to be a bit more of a people person. So you always have to be in a good mood and, and dealing with a lot of requests. Um, and for the drivers, the same. They're getting, they are pulled pillar to post nonstop all day, told be here, be there. Um, and as much as for a lot of that, it means they can just, just follow what they're told to do you know they don't get a second really to go okay i just i need a half hour break here just to chill out they don't get that um and again they always have to be at their best because if it's a fan meet and greet or if it's uh, a marketing sort of event whatever it is like for the people they're meeting it's probably a once in a lifetime opportunity so they they need to deliver on that but if a driver's having a bad day you know if uh, someone's broken up with their partner or you know they've just lost a loved one or you know or they're just not feeling great they're not allowed to be like that they have to be on at all times um but all of that comes together to make it a really on the whole nice traveling family in the sense that uh team members they spend so much time with each other that they almost have to get on uh, and they do become like their second family that you know people are great friends with each other um 
because that's the only way you're going to survive really if you're going to be with someone for 18 hours of the working of a you know the each day when you're awake um you're going to be getting up and having breakfast with them and you're going to be going back to the hotel really late at night tired with them and, and driving and traveling you you do all get on and you go through experiences together that kind of bring you closer um so i certainly wouldn't call it toxic there's always that ongoing um kind of suspicion and rivalry and kind of um concern that someone else is doing something that you guys aren't doing or whatever but even then that's only a small part of most teams just all being very similar to each other and everyone respecting what everyone else is kind of committing to be in that job you you on the whole you're very very good at what you do to have made it to formula one uh, and you're putting in a lot of time and effort so um yeah the atmosphere is actually very good in that sense uh it's just it's a huge commitment it's it's your whole life is taken over by it and I feel very lucky that I get to do a job that I love, but at the same time, it, I would be lying if I didn't say there are times that I also go like, I'm, I wish I wasn't traveling to a race because I just, you know, want a, a quiet weekend at home or I want to go and do something, you know, with friends or family and, and you miss them a lot because you do, you're, you're away from home for more than half the weekends of the year. Um, so that means that you miss at least 50% of the things that go on with any fam- any friends that are sort of nine to five working um, kind of in more corporate jobs. Uh, I know that isn't actually everyone, but then similarly that squeezes the time that you have available to do things with them as well. So you come back and they say, we've got to do something this weekend because you're around and you might be thinking either, Hey, I just really want a weekend of doing nothing because I've been on a triple header for the last three weeks or B you've got other people asking you the same thing of you and you're going to have to disappoint someone. So yeah, it really squeezes your time as well. And you, you, you do feel the pressure of that. So, um, it's something you have to, I think the best way to put it is something you have to love and really love to do it for a long time. Otherwise, I think, especially with the calendar getting as big as it is, um, it's something brilliant to be able to say you've done. Very rewarding, but people will do it for a shorter amount of time and then, and then look for a better work-life balance. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that leads me to my second question. Well, the second question we had from a listener. Um, this is from Nana. And the question is, um, apart from... He said, apart from obviously Latifi, <laughs> who else do you think will have a short F1 career? Wow. Ouch. <laughs> Very ouch. Um, that's tricky. Partly because the amount of drivers that come in at such a young age now, um, they, they barely get short careers. Uh, I think if you look at someone like Lance Stroll, I think he is going to be around for a long time, partly because of the backing <laughs> he has. Um, but also because of the, you know, he, he still is a solid driver. He's just a bit uninspiring and, and doesn't hit the heights that people want him to hit or want any yeah. driver to hit. But he still still is young and he came in young and has been kind of learning in F1, which is the bit you shouldn't be doing. But, you know, we've seen him you know put, put the car on pole uh, in Turkey or we've seen him sort of get podiums and have chances of winning races even when that race in Turkey, when it was wet not that long ago. So, yeah, there is... There is talent in there that's been developed by having a lot of money to drive cars a lot, but that is essentially how you know you practice your sport and you'll get better at it. Um, so I think he'll be around for a long time, which kind of means I don't see many that have a short career. Um, I worry a bit for Zhou Guan Yu because yeah. I feel like he's actually he's impressed me this year. He's done a better job than I was expecting based on how Formula Two had gone for him. But some drivers take to F1 a bit better. And others might look great in F2 and then they don't quite fit in Formula 1. Like someone like Stoffel van Dorm was a bit like that. But for for Joe, I feel like so much depends on how teams can unlock the commercial aspect of China. 
whether he stays around or not. So I think even if he does a pretty solid job, um, he he's he's less. It's less down to the job he does. Even if he actually does very well, um, I think he's going to have to do something brilliant to convince Alfa Romeo to keep him long term if money isn't coming in from sponsors. So um, I'd say his is a bit rocky. Same with Yuki Tsunoda. Um, I feel like I, I really like Yuki and I think he's got good, <laughs> it, yeah he's got good raw talent in my view but it's not been honed quite yet this year's not been a good one for Alfa Tari which is bad timing for him because if you look at Pierre he hasn't had big results either really yeah. um, or that many of them but but Yuki hasn't quite hit the consistency that he looked like he would at the start of the year and yeah. again I think with Honda not being quite as invested as they used to be then Red Bull will be a bit more ruthless with him than maybe in the past as well. So they'd be a couple that I'd maybe single out. And I'm I'm, I'm always going to forget someone when I say something like this. I suddenly think, who have I forgotten who's on the grid that I should have said um, is going to have a shorter one? But I think that kind of is everyone. I, I guess Mick, actually. Schumacher, yeah. that's the other one. Um, I, it, you know, Haas are pretty certain of dropping him. So, yeah, I think he's, I think he's going to struggle to get back on the grid uh, if he does drop off at the end of this year. Yeah, okay. Um, I think I wanted to ask about probably the craziest story you've ever covered. Because I mean, I've heard a lot of crazy stories back in the day, like we have spy gates, crash gates, all of them seem to have Alonzo in there somewhere. <laughs> um, and then even like the crazy story about like the Jaguar Diamond in Monaco and all that stuff. Like to you in your career, what has been the craziest like story you've ever had to cover or heard even? Uh oh, heard might be a different one to covered um kind of on a the theme actually when you talk about uh, alonzo the craziest one i've worked on and um was when he did the indy 500 and it was the fact that it just didn't make any sense when we were told it might be happening i kind of got a tip off the website i, I worked for in america and they said look can you we've heard this whisper can you kill it basically for us we, we can't it's too big to ignore but it surely doesn't make sense because it clashed with monaco um and it's such a big ask to go and change category anyway. Um, to go into the Indy 500 as a rookie would have been, you know, just such a huge gamble. And Honda were not performing well. Things weren't good at McLaren. So why would they suddenly invest all this money in in putting him in the Indy car? But so I started asking some questions and it turned out to be true. And then when I found out, it was actually at the point where uh, Jensen Button had been asked to or been told basically he was going to replace Fernando in Monaco for McLaren because Fernando was going to go and do the Indy 500 but Jensen hadn't said okay yet and it turned out that McLaren had a contract with him that said he had to do it anyway but they were kind of leaving it for him to make his own mind up or, or to come to that conclusion himself so when I went to them and kind of asked for comment because I, I needed to find out some more details anyway I was trying to be fair I wanted the team to know I had this story and they said, you can't run it yet because it's not all signed and done. And Jensen hasn't said yes yet. So if it came out and Jensen is there going, well, that's you trying to put pressure on me to agree this deal or or you telling me I'm doing it. So um, that was that was a really interesting one um, and uh, a lot of fun to work on. But a lot the most stressful story I've worked on as well, because we had to sit <laughs> on it for an extra two days. We agreed when we could run the story once everything was signed by McLaren and you're worried that someone else will get it in that time. Uh, but we managed to managed to not have anyone else get it. But in the end, actually, um, someone who used to work for McLaren kind of put the story out there from the team side before we'd agreed we were running it um, based on um, their feeling that someone else was going to get it, which made no sense to me. But um, that sort of stuff happens. I, I kicked off enough that everyone in the paddock knew that I had this story anyway. But <laughs> that would have been that would have been my the biggest thing I'd ever broken. It would have been massive. Um, and I was 
excited about it and then gutted when it didn't, didn't happen. But um, that was probably the wildest one because, I mean, it was such a crazy crossover. And for me personally, working for an American website was huge. So um, I'd probably go with that one and the way, the way it came about. And just to add to that, because I should have said it at the start, but I basically was, was messaging people and finding it out during a post-race party in China. Now, there's not many post-race parties <laughs> that happen, let alone ones that I go to. Um, and I hadn't been feeling great, so I didn't go for very long. But before I left for it, I'd sent some messages. While I was there, I was getting a few messages. And then because I wasn't feeling great and this suddenly looked like it could be a story, I left early. But it still was the middle of the night in China in my hotel room, kind of while everyone else is partying. And you're, you're also <laughs> speaking to people thinking, could they be at this party? Because if they're, if they're drinking, I can't really use this so i'm gonna to have to check it with them again tomorrow and that sort of thing so yeah that was a tricky one to do yeah queen do you have another oh we um, are running out of time yeah we are so i think we should just end with your thoughts on the championship this year and ferrari you cannot miss out ferrari <laughs> you, you've been listening to our podcast you realize that some of us are ferrari girlies <laughs> some of us are charlie claire girls <laughs> And we've gone on and on about Ferrari and how they've messed um, Charles Leclerc up in particular. Um, so we would like to hear your thoughts on the championship in general and Ferrari. D- don't worry. They are exactly where I'd focus, actually. I mean, if we start with, look, Red Bull have done a great job. Uh, Verstappen's driven very well. And it's the first time he's been in that position and he's just cruised it, really, hasn't he? And Red Bull have shown that they have not lost any of the edge they had about 10 years ago when they were dominating. That that hasn't left them. Whereas Ferrari are showing that they definitely have lost that edge that they used to have 15 years ago when they were dominating. Um, they, they've they really disappointed me, actually. And I, I do always caveat it with it was a big step forward this year compared to last year. Like mm, In some yeah. ways, I think if you'd have said before the year started, um, the clerk's going to win, how many is it, four or five races? Well, three so far, but you know, let's, let's give him four or five by the end of the year. Um, and Ferrari are going to be clearly the second quickest team kind of would have gone okay good progress um because that's meant they're ahead of one of red bull or mercedes but the car was so good and started so strongly and not only that it's not like they just then suddenly got slower compared to red bull and and couldn't compete there were so many races that if they executed properly they could have got more out of and that snowballs because when they didn't get it out of it that put pressure on ferrari and they kept messing up. It put pressure on Charles and he started making mistakes and it made life easier for Red Bull. Whereas if the other bit had been true and they'd taken their chances that they had, then Red Bull suddenly has to maybe act a bit differently, is under a bit more pressure themselves and maybe Red Bull makes some more mistakes. You, you don't know how it will pan out. So yeah, um, I've really... That Ferrari are my biggest disappointment of the season. And that's saying something because Aston Martin are on the grid this year. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it's just, it promised so much after the first couple of races. Uh, and I know some people were worried that Charles was going to walk it after the third round. Now, I never felt that was possible because recent history showed that Ferrari might struggle to develop the car, but would also trip up every now and then. But I didn't expect it like this at all. I'd I'd have forgiven a few mistakes in a proper title battle for the first year in a a long time. Mm -hmm. That that would have been acceptable. But so many has been a real disappointment. And the fact that Charles himself said at the start of the year, you know, he was winning two of those first three and looking so good. He said he wasn't making mistakes because he didn't have to overdrive anymore because he had a car that's capable of winning. So he just knew if he did you know, 100% of his job, that was going to be good enough. Whereas in previous years, the car wasn't that good. He had to push a bit further. But then as the year's gone on, because Ferrari have messed up, he's then pushed harder and tried to 
tried to kind of compensate or felt the need to maximize the result and try and get a bit more like in France and, and suddenly crashing out and yeah, it, it feeds itself. So um, yeah, I mean, I just, I look back at the momentum F1 had, there's a lot of bad things that happened last year. Let's put that out there. Um, but the momentum around the sport was huge because of the title battle we'd had. Yeah. We had the chance for another great one this year and it's been completely blown just by Ferrari's side. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. She's cried. <laughs> I love Ferrari. So. I'm a Ferrari fan, and then I'm a Danny Rick fan. Like you can imagine my life oh, right now. Uh, yeah. Um, last thing, right, Queen? You know what you have to do. Yeah, we have like two minutes. Two minutes <laughs> to help you speak some chi. <laughs> okay. Okay. What do we want him to say? Oh gosh. Easy one. Quick, 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 quick. <laughs> so you are going to say listen to happens and streets in um okay in tree so it's muntie happens and streets that's so, not bad yeah. yeah that's not bad <laughs> i was going to let you say your name but it was going to be too, too long, long so. so if i if i had it right will it be muntie hairpins and streets <gasps> oh my god you that's such a good accent. wow so you say yeah fremi kobi muntie no kobi medland yes muntie happens in streets so what's the first first part again yeah fremi yeah fremi kobi medland muntie happens and streets Amazing. That... Correct for five points. Yes. <laughs> so good. That was the thing I was really nervous about. I, feel like I won't lie. As an accept and just plays over and over again. <laughs> That's fine. Podcast. As our first guest. So. Yes. Oh, thank you so so much for. Uh, you're not allowed to tell anyone else that they did it better than I did, even if they <laughs> yeah. do. Okay. Deal. That's that's, that's my one condition. <laughs> you have a special place on the podcast. Oh, thank you very Always. much. It's been a lot of fun. Yes. Thank you once again. Guys, so that was it. Chris Medland was on the pod. Did your girls work or did your girls work? We went. <laughs> yes, so let us know. Like, give us any feedback you had. And honestly, guys, the more you share, like, subscribe, the more, the more people. people we can bring on. Look at Chris Medland. First on the pod. I want to say we are proud of ourselves. Are we? Yeah, it's been an interesting 10, 11 weeks yes. of doing this. So. Queen, I want to say I'm proud of you. You have grafted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also we we weren't able to play all your audio submissions, but we tried to fit them in there. So I hope you liked that. Um, that's it. Yeah, know. honestly. But you know what to do. Tell yeah. a friend to tell a friend to, to tell, tell another, another friend, friend that... that Happens in streets. It's back again. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.